Hey everyone, we are so excited that you're here right now with us on our grand opening for Anthem. I know you're online, but if you were here in person, you would see all of the crazy things that we have going on. We have a ribbon cutting ceremony. We've got people pouring into the room. We've got coffee flowing. It's a great time. It's a huge vibe and we wish you were here with us, but we're excited that you're here with us online. Pastor Miguel is working with us on our new sermon series, and he's talking all about how we can live a life filled with Christ. And so I'm super excited to get back to worship and hearing what Pastor Miguel has for us. 67 weeks ago, <laughs> we started this new reality. And this new reality had us wearing masks. And this new reality had us developing this painful experience of being isolated. And 67 weeks ago, we saw our lives change. And let's be honest, there's a lot of us in this room that have lost a lot. Some of you have lost family members. Some of us have lost jobs. Our parties, our plans have had to be postponed. Celebrations have had to be canceled. But we've also learned a lot. You know, we've developed resiliency and grit. We found new ways to innovate. We've even developed this new language. I mean, last week, you probably had a conversation using phrases like safer at home, social distancing, stay at home mandates. And maybe you turned around and you had a conversation with a friend and you started by asking him or her, what are you? Are you Pfizer? <laughs> or are you Moderna? And then both of you gathered together and looked at the one, that one weird one on the corner. And you said, he's probably J&J &J because I'm sure he's growing a tail. 67 weeks. I've been waiting to do this for 67 weeks. And just breathe. And on this other side of the pandemic, Anthem Church, we find a world that is still divided, a country that is still polarized. We find people that are still hurting, the words are still ringing in their ears, the image is still burnt into their minds as that now phrase that will live in infamy echoes through our streets. You remember it. I can't breathe. And yeah, sure, we're celebrating Juneteenth today. But like we were so masterfully reminded, there's still so much to do. So many voices that go unheard. Make no mistake about it, this holiday was forged in blood by people who took to the streets and said no more. Those same streets that became flashpoints of violence where you heard the most spiteful and hateful language, sometimes by people that proclaim to be followers of Christ. 
throughout this series, we're going to remind you that here at Anthem and at the broader community that is the Loma Linda University Church, we are still waiting and ready to carry our load, to, land, to answer our call, to respond to our responsibility, to say we are going to go out into a dying world and we are going to bring salvation, healing, and wholeness. But we can't do it alone. One of the most memorable things that I have learned during these 67 weeks is about you. About how committed you are to the communities that you value. It's because of you that we have continued to do ministry in the pandemic. I mean, who launches a church in the middle of a pandemic? It's because of you. So in this next sermon series, what we would like you to do is once again be bold enough to invite you to step into the fray with us and bring some new breath into a world that is gasping for air. And we're going to explain how to do that as we develop these messages, but just for now, as we are celebrating today, I want you to pause and think about those moments that take away your breath. You know, I had a moment like that. Just two weeks ago, I was looking at this picture, and I was doing so, and a picture should appear behind me. Isn't he cute? He looks like his mom. So this picture appears before me, and I'm looking at it with a friend of mine, and my friend who's, uh, let's face it, he's weird, <laughs> like asks me, do you know how babies breathe? And I'm like, yeah, the same way big boys breathe. <laughs> and then he pauses again and he says, no, 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 when Kai was in Linda's womb, do you know how he breathes? And I was like, like a fish? And he proceeded to give me the most beautiful explanation of what happens when a fetus breathes. So I'd like to do my best to recount it for you. For you and I, breathing is this delicate dance between our heart and our lungs. It's this do-si-do. See, when you breathe, you have these two atriums in your heart. And the right atrium has blue blood, blood that is almost devoid of oxygen. Now that blood goes down to the lungs, and in the lungs it is oxygenated, and as it is oxygenated, it changes color and now becomes bright red. Up again to the heart, this time to the left atrium, and it is from the left atrium that it is now pumped all over to your body, to every limb, every organ, every cell, in order to facilitate breathing. But in a fetus, it's a little bit different. Because fetuses live in an environment that is surrounded by water. And their lungs are filled with fluid. So where do they get the oxygen from? Come on, med students. I know finals are over, but come on. From mom, right? And so it is from mom that they get this oxygen, but the way in which it happens is 
masterful. You see, the baby has blue blood in it. And then through the placenta, it catches oxygen. The oxygen goes through this tube that you and I no longer have. And it is in the tube that drives it to the heart where blue blood and red, bright, beautiful blood mix. Now our hearts are separated, our true atriums are separated by a wall, but in a fetus, there's a flap, an open door, and through that door, the blood gushes and mix. From there, it goes down to the body. Up again, not to the lungs, but back to the mom, and then mom will expel the CO2 and breathe oxygen back into the baby. I was thinking about that. And as I almost always do, I begin to think about you and me, about the church, about breathing and birth as part of a community. So where does our story start? Where does the birth of the church, this body of believers, this message that has you here this morning, where did that start? Let's see. Maybe, maybe we can begin with the shoeless shepherd. He's standing in front of a burning bush, waiting to hear a message. And God is uniquely present in that moment. But that was just the beginning. So maybe we should move on and think about those slight slaves staring somberly at the sea as they are fleeing from the masters. And God was uniquely present. But that, that was just the beginning. What about that journey-weary woman who gives birth to a babe amidst manger earthiness? And in that moment, God is uniquely present. But that was just the beginning. Won't you follow me with those distraught disciples that have descended in order to anoint a body only to find an empty tomb? And in that moment, you guessed it, God is present. But that was just the beginning. It should not surprise you that a mere 50 days later, a group of common people gathered together in an upper, upper room for the ordinary purpose of prayer. And then something extraordinary happened. God was uniquely present. He opened the lines of communication through fire and wind. And the church was birthed. As we look down on that group of believers in the book of Acts, we know we know that they are waiting, waiting for God to do something. And maybe you've come to Anthem this morning because you too are waiting for God to do something in your life. You're desperate to listen to a new word. Well, the reality is the fact that you're here means that God has already spoken, God has already done something. Because if God hadn't done anything, if God hadn't spoken, then the church wouldn't be here. So the reality of us here at Anthem is that we are also in a delicate dance with our Creator. 
One in which we serve a loquacious God who continues to do and speak even as we try to intently listen. So what is it that you're listening to? Or better yet, what is it that that early community of believers was listening to? If you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to our passage for today. It is found in the book of Acts, the second chapter. We are going to be focusing on verses 41 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, and it reads like this. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good they gave to anyone as they had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord God added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the birth of the church. And what I find most moving about this passage is that it represents the most powerful chiastic structure in the whole New Testament. And you're probably wondering at, that, at this moment, what is a chiastic structure? Well, don't fret. I'm about to explain that. See, a chiasm is a literary device that the writers of Scripture used. And it goes like this. They're trying to make a point. Kind of like when we're trying to argue with someone. And you gather together your evidence. Well, that's what they're doing. And the points build upon each other until they reach an apex. And if you are like me, you don't get the point at first. And so for emphasis, they'll repeat their same, the same points on the other side of the chiasm. So let's see if we can find it. Let's see if we can understand it together. Our particular passage begins with evangelism. Scripture says that after Peter preached, 3,000 souls were baptized. And at the emotion and the movement in that instance, the divine doctor Luke pushes us back. He moves us back into ordinary life. From evangelism, now you have people that are gathered together, that are devoted to the apostles' teaching, that are praying together, that are eating together, that are communing together. And this ordinary life moves up to the very apex of our chiasm as you find people in awe because of signs and wonders. Back again then to ordinary life, they sold all their possessions. And then evangelism. The Lord added to their day daily those who were being saved. And if you've paid any attention, you have surely noticed that there is something missing there. What about the signs and wonders on the other side of the chiasm? It seems like the story is incomplete. But Luke, brilliantly inspired by God as he was, noticed something. And that is that in a place called Loma Linda, California, in the year 2021, a group of ordinary people 
are going to gather together for the common experience of prayer. They are going to eat and do life together. They are going to be an intergenerational, interracial community. You are the signs and wonders. Anthem is the miracle. And the beauty is that in Christ, you sitting today are not just the continuation of the story. You, dear church, are the culmination of the story. So how do we develop a community that is faithful to the mandate that we have called, that we have been called to live in? How do we appropriate Christ's dictums and then deploy them into our lives? What do we do? I'd like to posit, first and foremost, that what we need to begin by doing is empowering communities and not cliques. And church seems to be a bit cliquish, right? Did you hear it in the testimonies? How many people said, what really moves me about Anthem isn't the pastor's preaching. (laughs) It's not the music. It's the fact that when I come in through those doors, six people will say hello to me. What is truly different about Anthem, what is miraculous about Anthem, is that we are a community and not a clique, and that, my dear church, is a miracle. Because it is human nature to want to surround ourselves by people who look like us, think like us, act like us, and heaven forbid, believe like us. But for God to truly unleash our potential as a church, we need to begin by empowering communities and not cliques. And you might be asking, well, what does that look like? I mean, Pastor, that picture of your baby was really cute, but maybe you're the one who's been deprived of oxygen. Maybe you're dreaming. That can't be done in this time and in this place. Well, the year was 1967, and the place was the Southern Baptist Convention. Gert Bahana was a famous writer. She also was a recovering alcoholic. She approached the podium on that morning and began to give in gruesome detail the story, the story of her struggle. And as she got off the stage, a standing ovation. The people in that hall began to clap. Well, Gert couldn't resist the temptation. She had to walk back to the podium, and she looked intently at that congregation and said, now I know you're not applauding an old drunk like me. What is really happening is that the Jesus in me is meeting the Jesus in you. And that is how we build community. It is when we are able to see beyond all this superficial stuff that has been used for so long to keep us separate, and the Jesus in me begins to connect and link with the Jesus in you. 
And you know what the true tragedy is? The true tragedy is that sometimes we're too afraid to do that. That old theologian, G.K. Chesterton, probably puts it best when he writes that the Christian ideal has not been tried and, f- and been found wanting, rather it has been found difficult and left untried. And it has been left untried because, let's face it, we are afraid. We're afraid of vulnerability. So what is it that makes us so fearful? What is it that would keep us from being empowered and from unleashing that Christian ideal that Chesterton is pointing us to? Well, in a word, it's a teaching. That's what we're really afraid of. You see, the apostles had this belief that when you came to church, you were bound. That your body was bound to his body and to each other's bodies. And you know what happens when bodies are bound? Possessions follow. See, when you and I are bound together, my grip on this trinity of things that I value so much, like my time, my treasures, my talents, it begins to loosen. Because I start investing these things back into my community. The reality is, this is how true fellowship happens. So what what do we do once we empower communities? Well, the next step, I think, is that we have to be courageous enough to recognize that Christ would compel us to engage in conversations and not conquests. You see, the disciples had this amazing lesson that they wanted to to teach. It was the truth of commonality. Your communication ultimately is about making something common. And once you've communicated effectively, once you've made something common, then guess what happens? This thing that we've made common no longer belongs to me. I no longer have absolute control over it. Communication, true communication demands that I allow you a stake and participation. So the gospel doesn't only belong to me, the gospel belongs to us. In any paternalistic, evangelistic effort that says that in order to belong to the fellowship of believers, you need to think like I do, you need to believe like I do, you need to dress like I do, or you need to live like I do is antithetical to that message. It's nothing more than ideological conquest and anthem church. The gospel is about freedom. So we need to be able to engage in true communication, not conquest. And again, you're probably asking the question, well, what does this look like? That old parish pastor, George Rausch, he has a story that's going to help me illustrate this point. Rausch talks about two siblings. Two siblings who shared a farm. And as they shared a farm, they realized that they were rather different. Uh, The older one was married and had kids. The younger one was a bachelor. 
But they would share the profits and the produce of the farm equally. Until one night, the younger brother had a thought. Then he said to himself, it's not fair. It's not fair that my brother and I should share equally. After all, my needs are simple. He has children and a wife. And so driven by that thought, he walked outside into his bin, pulled a sack out, filled it with grain, walked back to his brother's bin, and then deposited the contents. Unbeknownst to him, that same night, his brother was also having a thought. Well, he said to himself, I have a wife and children to look after me for years to come. But my poor brother, he's all alone. And so driven by that idea, he too went out to his bin, took out a sack, filled it with grain, walked over to his brother's bin and deposited there. And this continued for years until one night. And one night, both brothers collided in the darkness. And the question that had been defying them for all those years, how is it that my supply is never dwindling, was finally answered. They looked at each other. They dropped their sacks and they embraced. And then they heard it. They heard the voice from heaven saying, this is where I will build my temple. For where two brothers embrace, there my presence will be. That is true fellowship. Communication that makes the gospel common opens up a space for God's presence to dwell. You see, that's why in Anthem, you hear constantly this idea of the Spirit being present. About the Spirit being the work, about the Spirit driving, about the Spirit doing something new, because we recognize that if we make the gospel, the gospel common, God dwells among us. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I want you to pause there for a second with me. And think about what Luke is writing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Our contemporary society is plagued by momentary enthusiasm. We live our lives 140 characters at a time. Just last week, somebody said, my phone is the best thing ever. And we had a birthday, and this same person brought a prune chocolate pie from Loma Linda Market. And they said, this pie is to die for. I mean, I mean no offense to Loma Linda Market. Or prunes. But really? To die for? And you see, the problem is that this momentary enthusiasm seeps into our religious experience. 
And you'll turn on the TV or you'll hear the latest celebrity preacher and they'll be up there and there'll be tears and gnashing of teeth and then you will have just a tinge of cynicism. Because too often you have seen these emotive outbursts become nothing more than a ploy to manipulate you. And then compare it to the text we just read. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know, Luke had just seen 3,000 people give their lives to Christ, and that wasn't enough. Something else was needed. And the text forces us to grapple with this reality. That we as Christians are not to move from one emotive outburst to the other emotive outburst in a weekly attempt to replicate these revival meetings. Instead, revival ought to lead you to reflect on who God is, what we are about, and who we are. So let me ask you, Anthem, what are we about? Adventists, we have our 28 fundamental beliefs. Our Catholic brethren have encyclicas and church councils. The Protestants have 95 theses. Most all of us can agree on those early Christian creeds the Nicene, one from Constantinople, even the Apostles' Creed. But if we are to fulfill this call that Christ has put upon our heart to be emissaries of hope and ambassadors of grace, then I think we ought to say Anthem is about Christ and Christ crucified. And if we are, about Christ and Christ crucified, then we have, an, we have a enormous responsibility. And that is to embody him. To embody Christ and Christ crucified in every single relationship we have. So we are part of a, of a group that empowers communities. We have engaged in conversations and then we are let out into the world. We left my baby, though, trying to struggle for air. We didn't finish telling you what happens when birth occurs. You see, as the baby comes out, oh, it's something really gross happens. <laughs> Not that part. That part's... <laughs> but as the baby comes out, all the water that filled its lungs is now absorbed into his body. And when that baby sees the world for the first time, he has one primary emotion. She experiences one thing before anything else. Cold. And then, then that tube that feeds her oxygen sews shut. And the baby is blue because 
the CO2 levels in his or her body are growing. He or she must breathe. And so she does. He does. But he's still so cold. And so the nurse will run and wrap him or her in a blanket and will swaddle them. And that is a great analogy, an analogy that the early church founders used for the church. Yeah, at first we're dependent on our Father for everything. But at one point we are, we are going to have to get up and out into that cold world. We're going to go out desperate for air in a world that only peddles in hate and division. And we're going to feel how cruel and cold it is. May Anthem be a community that swaddles you. May Anthem be a community that embodies Christ so that you can be inspired to go out. And how do you embody Christ? Well, you do so by recognizing first and foremost that the church, the church is the body of Christ in, his, in history. There was a man. His name was Oscar Romero. And he was the Archbishop of El Salvador. He believed in empowering communities. He believed in engaging in conversation. He desperately believed in embodying Christ and Christ crucified. And so Romero delivered a homily outside of the cathedral in San Salvador where he was murdered for his beliefs. But let me tell you what Romero said on that faithful day in his last sermon. He looked at the crowd, at this community, saw deep in their eyes and was able to know what their hearts desired to hear. And so he said, he said, God's greatest microphone is Christ's. And Christ's greatest microphone is the church. Broken, battered, and bruised as we are, you, Anthem, are Christ's greatest microphone. Because the church is all of us. So go out and live your life as you, if you were a microphone of the Lord our Savior. Empower communities, engage in conversations, embody Christ in Christ crucified. And if you are able to do that, then there will come a day, believe me, there will come a day when the trumpet will sound and you will breathe anew and you will see him face to face and he will say, good and well done my faithful servant and you will gaze into his eyes into the eyes of our Jesus our Christ crucified none of these things really matter if we don't give you tools to live those out in your everyday life 
And so as you came into our church today, you found on your seat a card that looks a little like this. We are calling this the Live Out Challenge. Ways in which you can put these teachings and these ideas to practice. And today we simply want to ask that you consider this. That you meditate upon this week who Jesus is for you. And that as you answer that question, you ask yourself now, how can I be that in someone else's life? But again, that's just ethereal. So let's get a bit more practical, shall we? Can we ask you this week to go out and call someone? Someone whom you haven't seen in a while. Maybe it's a friend from whom you've been separated because of the pandemic. Maybe it's a family member that you've had a falling out with. Would you invite them out? And ask them to go and sit with you, have a meal or maybe some tea, some postum for those of you who are really, really bold, maybe even some coffee. And sit in front of them, sit across from them and listen to their story. Listen intently and then jot down Jot down what you have learned. And we believe that if you do these things, you'll be able to get a new glimpse of who God is and what God is calling out for us to do. We'd love to hear how that went. So I'm going to give you my email. Please don't send me any spam. I don't need any property. And please, I, I don't want Amway. But what I do want is I want to know how that went. So you can send that to me at, at mmendez at louc.org. We'd love to know how that went. But until then, miracles of God continue rejoicing in Christ and Christ crucified. We are so excited that you were here worshiping with us for our grand opening. We are so excited that we got to hear Pastor Miguel's message that we're building towards being more like Christ. There's a couple of things that we want to let you know before you head off. The first thing is we want you to stay connected with us. And the best way to do that is to follow our Instagram, AnthemXLOUC. You'll get all of the notifications, all of the big news that we have coming. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. And we can't wait to see you next week, same time, same place.